Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode one of Popcorn Peeps, a new movie podcast I'm hosting with my friend Sarah Alexander. Hello, everybody. And my pal, Chris McMullen. Hey, how are you doing? On this podcast, we are going to be going through the top 100 films of all time, according to, was it Hollywood Reporter? Yes. Hollywood Reporter. We're going to start at number 100, and we're going to do an episode for each film, and we're going to work ourselves all the way up to number one. And number 100 on our list was Seven Samurai. And so the three of us got together recently, and we watched Seven Samurai, and it was an adventure. Subtitles, again, are a bit of a barrier, and it was in black and white, so it was a little bit of a jarring experience. But uh, what are your first impressions of the film? What did you guys What did you guys think? And it was three hours. You left that part out. A three and a half hours. Three and a half hours. Minutes. Well, we got to spin through the intermission. Yeah, that's true. But the intermission was only about two minutes long. So I felt it felt very old timey. Like I was part of a theater. There was intermission. I'm like, oh, I should get up and pee. (laughs) Should we make popcorn? I mean, it didn't stop me from peeing throughout the entire first and second half of the movie anyway. But so what do you guys think? When I came, so I expected to hate it because it is all the things you listed. (laughs) Like pre-method acting movies can be very painful. And I'd say I kept that opinion for the first act in a bit. But after that, I I really did enjoy it. The first act was tough. It was slow. It was long. It was so yeah. slow. I'm probably of the same opinion as Chris. I thought the last maybe two hours, I guess, really picked up. And that didn't feel very long at all. But the first hour or so was a slog to get through. Yeah. yeah and I haven't seen a lot of pieces from the time. It was released in 1954, I believe. And... Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that was like standard pacing for the time or if we're just spoiled by modern films. They get right into it. The action gets rolling or we're just our attention spans have been destroyed by like uh, network television and all of the shit we're exposed to now where everything has to be bang, 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 plot points happening one after the other to build up the characters and get the action rolling. I did read a piece of trivia on IMDb and it said that there were debating to do the opening scene by showing the bandits raiding the village and kind of started off with a bang but the director akira kurosawa instead decided to go for just having the bandits watch because he thought that way if you started out slow it'll kind of be a slow burn throughout the show that eventually picks up again so i think that was intentional for it to be a slow start he didn't want his audience to say well man this movie hasn't been good since the first 10 minutes yeah <laughs> about an hour and a half they in. just wanted yeah. it to be horrible for the first hour Uh, See, I watch a ton of anime, so the subtitles were fine with me, but I know most people, like, it's hard to convince someone to watch a film with subtitles. Did you feel like that really hurt the experience, or did you have a harder time connecting with the characters or anything because of the subtitles? Um, I watch a lot of my shows with subtitles because I like to snack, and I don't want to miss anything, so it wasn't an issue for me. How loud are you snacking? I'm a loud chewer. No, okay, sometimes if I'm eating popcorn, like, Jen and I are watching Community right now, and if I'm eating popcorn, if, like, we're eating dinner and watching it, like, it's, I don't know what the hell is going on. We will turn the subtitles on usually when we're eating and stuff like that, so I get that. My only problem is my short attention span. Sometimes I'll focus on, like, what's happening in the movie and realize that I haven't been reading what they're saying at all. Right. So I miss a bit there every so often, but... I'm probably going to get chewed up for not like understanding the subtle nuances of a lot of it, but I thought the general structure of the film was simple enough that as long as you were paying most attention most of the time, like you could still follow it along. Like there's there was only like two or three like core acts. We set up at the beginning, you know the town's in, under threat by bandits. 
the town says, fuck this, basically. We need some protection. And so they gather the samurai. And by the time the samurai come back to the village, it's basically one big kind of piece to get us all the way to the end of the film. So it wasn't like we were dealing with like double agents or a ton of plot twists. Like it was seemed pretty streamlined. It was a very straightforward narrative for sure. Yeah, but I wonder if at the time, if it was... Or if that's just looking at it now, because we have, we've seen a lot of that plot carried out. Yeah, it'd almost be interesting to see kind of what it was competing against at the box office yeah. at the time, even in like in Japan and then even in, in the West to see what Western uh, directors were doing. Do we know if it actually like showed in the West, like in its time period, or did people discover it in like the 70s, like in North America? I do not know. I'm not sure. I know it has box office uh, revenue for the U.S., but I don't know if that all came afterwards because obviously it would have been shown at the U.S. at some point, but I don't know what when that would have been right away or not. Yeah, all the Wikipedia says is that the studio removed 50 minutes from the U.S. distribution because they didn't think that American audiences Heroes! Why didn't we get to watch it? that cut? Coho, doing us um. a solid. <laughs> I was flipping through images uh, of the film and I saw one of the advertisement banners was like the full real version or something like that. I'm like, okay, hey, if I ever see that and I'm watching this film again, I'll know to avoid it. Mm-hmm. What did you guys think of the characters? Because there's a lot of characters in the film. Obviously, you have your seven samurai and you have a whole group of people in the village with a couple different dynamics. Did you find the characters endearing at all? Did you enjoy them or any of their kind of quirks or idiosyncrasies or their kind of the way they intersect with each other? So I... I, I didn't get emotionally invested in any. They were very much character caricatures instead of characters for me. I don't know if that's not natively understanding what they're saying, but they were funny and they were interesting, but they seemed very, very flat. I agree too. And I don't even necessarily think the acting was bad. I just think the script didn't really give them an, a lot of opportunity to flush mm-hmm. out their a lot of their nuances. Yeah, the only one we saw that from is, I'm going to butcher this name, Jordan was the Kikuchio. Scroll down my list. Yeah, Kikuchio. Um, the kind of crazy one, Kikuchio, because he had that whole scene where he could sympathize with the farmer and why they were kind of aggressive in the past towards the samurai, and then you learn that's where he's from. He has that forged scroll with his ancestry, and then I was reading, too, that that name, Kikuchio, would have been a woman's name. Oh. And <laughs> so when he was giving them that, it would have been for a 13-year-old girl. Oh, yeah. so that's a whole layer of comedy we missed. Yeah, he was not born into a samurai family. He wasn't mm-hmm. a samurai, but he was trying to jump classes to become that. And then I think you went to the washroom at this point, but Chris and I saw it, is he went into a building and rescued a baby, and it was just a, like a farmer's baby, and he started crying, and he's like, this baby is me. And like, so something must have happened there. But it wasn't drawn out, like that part wasn't drawn out or really pushed forward at all, so it's just kind of little things that you picked up, but I don't think character development was huge across the board. Yeah, I agree. No, there was, I don't know, I feel like it's most easy to invest yourself in characters when you see them uh, vulnerable and they have weaknesses and that's kind of the human connection when you see that they're flawed and they're not just, as Chris said, like caricatures, like um, our archetypes. Yeah. Yeah, because the main guy, like the leader, um, Kambe, he he was just very consistent in the way he portrayed himself. There wasn't a lot of highs or lows to his dynamic. He was the leader, he, did, he led... And that was it. Yeah, we had a different set of archetypes. Uh, Gorobe was the the smiley guy who was always kind of cheerful. We had the um, very stoic and lone, what's his name? Kyuzo, um, the samurai who stole the musket. And we were also introduced uh, to him when they were fighting uh, in the field. 
We got one samurai battle Woo-hoo. before the climax of the movie kicked <laughs> off, and it lasted eight seconds. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. <laughs> I got so excited for that. I thought, all right, here we go. Once you pop the lid off, this shit's going to get crazy. We're going to get some battles going on. And we got that one fight. It lasted eight seconds, and then we waited another hour and a half for the rest of the dueling. I can't think of any of the other characters I really cared for other than Kiku. He was clownish, but I guess when the rest of the the actors are kind of stoic or they're trying to be heroic or brooding or intimidating to have anything that goes against that save for maybe our our smiley samurai it was it was refreshing so when he was on screen that was always fun yeah he definitely captured your attention yeah i think my favorite scene in the whole movie was when he grabbed the uh the bandit's armor put it on and basically walked into their camp and sat down next to the other bandit and was just kind of laughing around with him for a minute before he started kind of chasing him Mm -hmm. with his sword over his head i thought that was really good that was awesome that was probably one of my favorites I wasn't expecting it to be as jokey as it was because not only did we have that scene, we also had the entire final battle in which Kiku was fighting without pants. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure if that was funny. I don't know if that's like culturally <laughs> insensitive or if that was period accurate, but he has armor, he has a helmet, he's got a sword, and he's just got like this little loincraft cloth wrapped around his ass cheeks barely holding on and uh yeah running around the battlefield in the mud and whatnot yeah i can't vouch if that's samurai combat or what but <laughs> i thought it was funny yeah I, I i couldn't speak to it i didn't find it funny though no you didn't like no. his bum i didn't say that uh i said i didn't find it funny i don't know if you guys went back but like i was definitely surprised to see his uh his uh his naughty bits during the fishing scene <laughs> Did you roll it back just to see it? No, but it happened. No, I didn't go back. Well, Google says Samurai wore pants. Okay, so this guy's just a clown. Yep. (laughs) Did you feel anything when the Samurai died at the end? Was that elicit any emotional response? Or was that like, oh, cool, we're moving the plot along. People are dying. Yeah, I felt nothing. Not really. The only ones I felt bad about were that stoic guy just because I thought he was a badass. And then Kikachu. (laughs) Kikachu. I I think that's his name. (laughs) That's definitely his name. Kikuchio. But I'm just going to call Kikuchi. him Kiku because I'm Kiku. not going to mispronounce it That's and fair. it's easy. Um, yeah, those are probably the only ones, but I didn't feel really, I wouldn't, I wouldn't cry. It's just kind of more like a, oh, well, that sucks. I did think I liked it the more I kind of sat on it. I thought it was not necessarily um, boring when I was watching it, but I thought kind of the, the themes that it was trying to showcase, I thought it did a good job portraying those and it had some good takeaways. Charity, I thought, was the most prevalent theme in the film. So all of these guys are fighting for literally nothing. They have nothing to gain. They're all ronin, so they have no allegiances. They're just kind of drifters. They have to go job to job collecting money so they can eat, so they can live, whatever. And they pick up this job, and they're just getting food. There's no title. There's no pathway to success here. Once the job is done, it's done. And if you do it well, you get a bag of rice. And if you don't do it, you die. And so it was kind of just a story of looking out for your fellow man and uh, standing up for what is right and offering your time and your services and your life to kind of protect those who can't. And I thought that was really, uh, really honorable and not to be like cliche about honor and samurai, but Mm -hmm. I thought that was cool. Well, I read this after. It's nothing I would have picked up during the movie, but apparently like Japanese film and culture has always had a focus on more of like the community as a whole. And whereas this time he was trying to push it away and focus on the individuals. Because I guess in Japan, like family and bringing pride to the family is very important. And he didn't think that that would translate well in the Western market because of, they'd still be sore after World War II. Oh, so if, if that was his intention, they must have released it in the West relatively soon after. 
I think two years after. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then he tried to show more, um, like they don't, they're not beholden to a Lord or whatever they are on their own. They're doing this just because they want to type of thing versus blindly following a leader and just fighting because mm. you're told to fight. But again, I wouldn't have known that from just watching it. That's funny. I had a, um, I had a friend, uh, a few years ago, uh, in Ottawa and he was a big weeb, a big anime fan. And it's funny that you say the Japanese are really fond of family and the idea of togetherness and the, the, the way their families are close-knit. And that's how he justified moving back in with his parents after he graduated. <laughs> 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 and he said, no, it's to generate a sense of community. It's not because I have nowhere to go and no job. That's funny. I thought that was funny. I like that. And I guess the other theme that I saw was companionship. Again, these are lonesome people. They, I think two of them had an re- interaction beforehand. They were friends and they kind of laughed when they met each other. They thought that each other were dead and they were, I think, two of the older men in the group. But to just to come together for a, a common cause and kind of rally and build relationships with people they teased or necessarily didn't think were qualified, um, specifically with Kiku, who kind of is the rascal of the bunch and comes in and really builds a place for himself within that, within that community, within that group of companions. And I thought that was cool. I enjoyed that. That was a neat takeaway as well. The importance of kind of um, not, not only charity, but building your community. Uh, I was just thinking about that romance that they slapped in there, and I probably it think was that's awful. Yeah, that's probably one of my least favorite. I just it did nothing for me, and I don't think it moved the plot along for both the woman and the man involved. It didn't really advance their characters in any meaningful way. We talked about this at the time, but I think it's funny that uh, the, the girl had her hair uh, taken from her so she wouldn't look like a man and wouldn't uh, tempt either the samurai or the bandits or whatever to uh, ruin her, yeah. as it as it was said. But she just looked like a Japanese punk rock girl. And <laughs> yep. It was not convincing for any of us in 2020 that no. this was a man. I mean, you see that you see that before in like um, like Shakespeare and stuff like that. There's a lot of like elements of disguise, but this true, was probably true. one of history's poorer attempts at uh, <laughs> yeah doing that. Oh, during this time in film, it, there was the Hayes Code, which was you weren't allowed to show like excessive violence. Like if you had someone firing a gun, you weren't allowed to show it pass through a person. You could shoot the gun and then show the body. And same with sex. Like you weren't allowed to touch each other really or they'd sleep in separate beds. So I was reading again after that where he and the woman are kind of rolling around in the flower sh- field. Shino. Shino. Sarah? Shino. Kiko. According to the cheat sheet. Kiko and Shino were rolling around <laughs> in the flower field and he grabbed her boob accidentally because well you thought she was a guy but then he touched and felt it like that would have been pretty edgy at the time like oh my god very lewd um i think it's funny that you say they weren't allowed to show excessive violence because the when the father finds out that the daughter has been sleeping with the samurai she literally beats her into the ground yeah (laughs) she's there crying rolling around for four minutes i mean it's not funny but it's it's interesting that that was that must have been also okay i don't know where the line was but that also seemed um probably despite the fact there was so much death one of the more brutal parts of the film i thought the Mm -hmm. sword fighting was rather tame there was definitely like a a gap between the blade and the enemy when (laughs) he fell <laughs> classic uh classic grade nine drama yeah uh, special <laughs> effects and another thing we noticed too is that there wasn't any thud when the bodies would fall or anything it was quite quiet which was weird i don't know if that was also intentional or i wonder if that's like a pavlovian thing that i've just been trained to expect listen to, to the body fall <laughs> <laughs> maybe i just listened to power man's let the bodies hit the floor <laughs> times on xbox live nice yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, you don't really expect much with a film this old, but as we go through and watch these 100 films, it'll be interesting to see how the portrayal of women and women's role in uh, in cinema and in these stories changes as we kind of get closer to more modern films. I think we have a couple on the list. I think Inception may be the newest one, which is... I think so, yeah. Is this Inception on the list? Yeah. Yeah. This list is from 2014. Um, Sarah. I couldn't, I couldn't really find anything No wonder La La Land's recent. not on there. That wasn't like voters, and I thought that would change too frequently for us to be able to oh, commit a to a plan. That's a good point. Um, well, if we make if we make it through a hundred films over the course of the seventy six years this is going to take, we can do a bonus round of our favorite films from two thousand fifteen onward. Two thousand fifteen to the year twenty forty four when we're done. Um, and the we're other gonna one... be done in four years and two months. Yeah, because we're plan never is to gonna miss one every. Is that two that's every two weeks. weeks. Every two weeks. Do it. For sure. I'm going to be so cultured by the end of this. Yeah. I'm going to finish 100 movies, and then we're going to come back, and we'll rewatch Seven Samurai, and I'll be like, oh, what a fucking idiot. I was. <laughs> I didn't see the nuances. No I was genius. <laughs> so speaking of that, one of the, some of the stuff that I picked up on was the cinematic stuff. I thought the um, cinematography and the like, the camera pans and the actual positioning was great. I had no issue with any of that. Yeah, yeah. So I noticed. Um, did you guys notice that the, there was a lot of bird song? Like for the complete lack of like you know like uh, sound engineering, there the I found the fact that in a lot of scenes you'd hear birds singing. I uh, did not notice that. To like set the mood, or I'm sure there was a meaning to it. And if you could recognize the birds, you'd know even more. But that's something that really stuck out to me was that use throughout the film of the bird song. If I was just going to throw off any like impressions, maybe um, maybe they tried to put that in there to incorporate. A, a bird is usually a symbol of freedom, especially mm -hmm. when they're in the forest or whatnot. And uh. So maybe that's symbolizing the, the freedom of choice uh, within the Ronin. Like they're, they can do whatever they want. They're drifters. They're like the birds, but they've committed themselves to this act. And maybe there that's playing on that. I'm not sure, but that would just mm -hmm. be like an initial guess. I, I think that your grade 11 English teacher would have an accident from that description. That was just so insightful. My grade 11 English teacher was a champ. He was a yeah. crazy old Newfie fellow, and he would always tell us stories about how his grandpa would drown cats whenever he went to visit them on his farm. Oh, my God. It was, uh, it was insightful. Okay. He said his favorite right. poem ever he saw walking to the rec center when he saw graffiti on a building, and it just said, fuck you. And he goes, that's a profound poem. No. Fuck you. This is your, just, this is the teacher. He just thought it was it, it was a combination of someone's raw emotion being thrown to the world in the most simplistic and um, vulgar way possible, and he thought it was be beautiful in its simplicity. Yeah, maybe. Interesting. Speaking of music, I thought the like the bongos and kind of the general percussion was good. It was prevalent, and there were a couple different variations of it, but I thought that was kind of a consistent thread that carried throughout the film. The different beats, but the same like kind of percussive style from mm -hmm. from beginning to end. That opening number was a banger. Can we talk about how the credits were eight minutes long? <laughs> and they were all in Japanese. And they're and all sparsely like, subtitled. <laughs> yeah, if you were important enough, you got a subtitle yeah. uh, on your credit. Were there credits at the end of the film? Or were there just credits no. at the beginning? No, I that, that's something you'll notice. There'll be a point where we'll stop seeing credits at the beginning. Yeah, because is that just the way they did it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Because everyone would leave otherwise, I guess, without seeing. Do you know why trailers names. are called trailers? A little bit of movie trivia. They would have been at the end. Yep. They used to be oh, at really? the end. They used to be at the end. That's why they're called a movie trailer. And those bastard marketing <laughs> suits put them at the beginning. 
even though I pay $18 for a Cineplex ticket and I want to watch the movie. Jeez. <laughs> That's really interesting. I never it. even thought of that. See, I'm contributing. Have you guys noticed the plot carried through in more recent material? Or like, has anything you've watched used this as inspiration? Uh, not necessarily film that I can pick up on, but uh, Sucker Punch just released a new AAA video game called Ghost of Tsushima that was specifically kind of built around Kurosawa's films. Uh, not oh. not directly, but all of, a lot of the inspiration, the cinematography and the lighting and whatnot. There's actually a mode where you can just flick the game to black and white to mimic the style of his oh. films if you want to feel more immersed. And so, yeah, definitely, oh gosh, 70 years later, he's still having an influence because that game came out in July of this year. Oh, wow, that's interesting. So I didn't know this at the time, but in The Mandalorian, there's an episode, we watched it, and then someone was, who we watch with, I guess we can give Ray a shout out, was like, that was just Seven Samurai. And I guess there's been many remakes. There's Magnificent Seven is a cowboy movie. And then they they made that in the '60s, and then they made it again in like 2014. Wow! There is a an anime called Seventh Samurai that is a direct recreation of this film, but with cartoons. Are you gonna watch it? So if you it? ever want a dash of color in your life and you <laughs> haven't had enough of Seven Samurai, there you go. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. But I when I was plucking images through uh, and just kind of doing a little bit of research, I saw that and thought that was funny. Maybe I'll maybe I'll give it a gander and I'll do yeah, a little comparing contrast. Yeah, see what contrast. you think. I have definitely had all the Seven Samurai this lifetime here's a question would you recommend it and would you watch it again i think i would watch it again not tomorrow or next month even but maybe down the road because i did wind up enjoying it and i think there are things i wouldn't mind trying to pick up on now that i can pay more attention i don't know but i would recommend it to maybe just a very specific person who is looking for film history like i don't think i would shout it out to the general public like hey on a friday night watch this would sue watch three and a half hours of seven samurai and sue would not she couldn't get through what was it parasite we sent sue from finance to watch parasite and she came back this is in chinese there's no they i have to read she was... <laughs> we, burst out, yeah, we burst out laughing so would i recommend it to somebody yeah so your wife your wife was there and saw it she fell asleep so definitely wouldn't go to her would you recommend <laughs> no. this to any of our like our gaming crew who's appreciates more japanese culture or would you recommend it to your son or uh no i don't think i would recommend it to anyone unless they were specifically trying to research film history or they were doing it for mm -hmm. some educational purpose or they were trying to do like an, an, an essay on the evolution of like maybe a particular theme or a particular director or um, era of filmmaking but I, d I don't think it holds up today i think it's a cool look back into the way mm -hmm. things were done and if you're looking to learn it's awesome, but if you're looking to just be entertained, there's 70 years of filmmaking after that that I think will leave you more gratified after you finish your watch. Agreed. Um, yeah. Well, I told Jordan this, but Mike, he reached out to me after I put it I put it on my Instagram story, and he's like, this is my favorite movie. And I thought, really? Is it because of Yohei's ass? Yeah, yeah. That's probably it, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> he's a little sense. more of a that thick boy. <laughs> I have to say there were scenes that stick with me. Like I was earlier, I was going to say, no, I haven't really gone back to it in my head. But the scene with our stoic friend, he's standing in the rain. That was iconic. I really liked that one. Yo, black and white uh, and rain look really well together. I feel like I the entire rain was the, one of like, the most visually striking of the entire thing. 
And if you do like murder mystery or one of those types of movies and it's in black and white, I don't know. I just think it adds something to it. Yeah, I don't have any issue with black and white. It's mostly like if if a movie came out today, I think there's a probably there's at least one or two Woody Allen's that are black and white and stuff like that. I thought there was the one that won the Oscar a couple of years ago. It was what was it called? About like an old movie star. I feel like it was French or something like that. I did see that. Was it The Artist? I never, I never saw it, but I think that was. I it. think that. Yeah, happened. I don't have a problem with black and white. Black and white is very stylish. And yeah, and that it's funny when I picture that scene in my head. I had colors. I just think of like some some basic girl watching it now. She's like, "Oh my god, I can't believe they filmed it with this Instagram filter the whole time." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> There was one scene too, I can't remember what it was, but I feel like we or the camera was under a barn or a roof and we were looking at something, but then the focus was what was going on past that, like outside in the rain. I just thought that Mm -hmm. was a cool shot and it might have been happened once or twice, but I just thought it was a neat angle. Yep. Good work, guys. We started our podcast with a movie we don't recommend to anyone. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like anyone who would enjoy it would already know about it. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Right. Like, I can't see anyone coming to me and saying, I want to see like a foundational movie that has been the narrative has been repeated for seven decades and refined. Do you have a recommendation for me? Then I'd be like, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> but other yes, than I that, do. Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, my oh God. no. <laughs> I don't think Are that you, made our list. It did not. It's I was, not on the list. Yeah, I can. Oh, my gosh. Kind of yeah. uncultured swine created this monstrosity. Was. Which one yes. was? Seven. Seven and Sons of the Lambs. Yes. Two of my faves. Um, and just for background, the reason we picked this list was I was also looking at the American Film Institute Top 100, but it didn't have Shawshank Redemption on the list. And one of our other counterparts, who I'm assuming will be joining at a later date, he loved Shawshank Redemption and didn't buy into any list that would not include that. So I found this Hollywood Reporter one, which does. And look where he is now. Not here. Yep. That's didn't right. watch dun, the movie. Dun, dun. Uh, on our... Uh... What is the IMDb for podcasts? Every all of us are going to be like 100 episodes, and he's going to be 99. Shame. Yeah, we'll be yeah. celebrating our centennial. We'll be like, no, you know, <laughs> yeah. champagne no. for you. That's right. And it's something I think he really would have enjoyed, actually. Or I think he would have got a lot. He would have out liked it, it more than Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. But I mean, like. I like the visuals. Like yeah. my hobby is photography, so I took a lot of that kind, of, like the image composition. I did take notes. I stopped taking notes before the interesting things happened. But one of the things I noticed that, and I think this is sort of a, in the time, because uh, I can think of like Treasure of the Sierra Madre and stuff like that, where tight, tight on the face, mm. like. It's a four by three, so you're already not having the letterbox, and like the whole face just fills the whole screen, and that's how they're trying to convey emotion. I find that claustrophobic and ineffective, but it's, it was definitely visually jarring for me. Yeah, it's hard to appreciate it given kind of how we've been spoiled and how everything has advanced. Because in the 50s, like I wouldn't be playing League of Legends, I wouldn't be doing like half my hobbies. This would have been amazing if like I didn't watch TV other than the one one time a month or whatever I went to the cinema and if I saw this it would like probably it would have probably blown people's minds and I guess that's why we're still talking about it now right and why so someone thought it was going to be This actually came out at list. the same time as Godzilla. Oh, really? Yeah. That's another thing that's still kind of just getting reiterate reiterated upon every 2 years and then kind of thrown at us so it's interesting. 
Not on the list, though, for some reason. No, I don't think that those special effects would have... No. Well, they're all they're all practical, and you can only do so much with little models. So, 1954, sorry, this is just what also was out at the time, was Rear Window on the ro- Waterfront Dial M for Murder, and A Star is Born, the original. Or, yeah, so yeah. it was a big year for movies. Interesting to put that in the context of Rear Window. So we're, the, we're talking about... Hitchcock at his peak. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that one is on our list or not, but I saw Psycho was on there. I haven't seen Psycho either, so that'll be exciting. I'll finally understand Jordan. where the memes are from. <laughs> I was scanning the list. I'd, I'd have to do an actual tally, but I think I've seen somewhere between 25 and 50%. Nice. I've seen so. 2%. I've seen Star Wars and... Lord of the Rings was on there. Inception. Oh, and Lord of the Rings. And Lord Avatar Lord of the Rings made it. was on there. Uh, Return of uh, the King. Chris only. doesn't like Lord of the Rings, but we'll get into this in two years when we get yeah, to Lord of the Rings tuned. episode. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm excited to see. So our next one will be Bonnie and Clyde, which I have seen. Chris, I believe you've seen it. And yes, this will be many a times. new treat for you, Jordan. They're all treats. <laughs> <laughs> They're tasty treats. Before we head out, uh, does anyone have any specific lines from the movie that they really enjoyed? Yes, I have one. All right, I wrote hit it down. Me with it. Find a hungry samurai. I like that a lot. That was good. Yeah. Jordan doesn't look impressed. I'm just curious. Is there like a sen- supposed to be a sense of irony there? Or is that kind of like a um, when pigs fly? No, I think it's I th- uh, the way I took it was if you need something done or if you have someone who's not going to jerk you around, find one who's actually hungry. Like person who will do the job the best is the one who ne- needs what you have to survive, basically. He's not going to jerk your chain. He's going to be down to business because without you, he, he he's done for. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Like, I'm going to use that in my uh, hiring. Oh. That's cool. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I didn't yeah. catch that one, but I really do like that one. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. See, I wouldn't have remembered it, but I wrote it down. because it was Perfect. good. My favorite one was from Grobe when they were fishing. He said, the ones that get away always looked bigger. I thought that was really true. Oh, I missed oh, yeah. that one. That was That's good. good I, I don't know. I have FOMO a lot. Like, a new release will come out, and I'll be like, oh, I need to get it or whatever. And, like, you feel like if you don't get it, like, I don't know, it's, like, more devastating. And then as time passes, you realize that, like, oh, it wasn't really a big deal. Like, it wasn't as important. It is as important now as I thought it was at the time. But when your your eyes are kind of lit up and you, you, you see what you want, you can't get it, then right. it, it always stings a little more. And hindsight is what, what helps you realize that. Are you talking about 3080s? Yeah, I'm talking about RTX 3080s. I want one so fucking bad. They're still sold out. It's the two-week anniversary of the launch, and there's still none for sale on public markets that aren't eBay for triple the price. You can't just buy things as soon as they launch just because you feel like you need it. You just bought a new phone yesterday when the phone launched yesterday, Chris. I don't. I I don't. To retire your (laughs) one-year-old phone that you bought. It's 18 months old. It's 18 months old. Dude, I used to work for Motorola. I got a new phone like every six months. Yeah, like you got cut off the supply and now you're <laughs> I'm like, yeah, exactly. Oh. That's funny. Do you have anything that you want to mention, Sarah? Um, I don't think I had a favorite line, but I had a favorite visual, which was just Yohei's face and everything that he did. We didn't talk about mm-hmm. Yohei's face. Oh my gosh. So I did a little research on Yohei. Sorry, this is going to be a little tangent. Hit but um, he was known in Japanese cinema. He was in tons of stuff and he was always known for being like a, that type of character, like an, a ah. side character, like a drunk, a nuisance, a, a poor person. Like a character actor type of thing. Like yeah, yeah, basically. And he always, he, he was like, he did this face a lot or whatever. And I just thought it was so funny that this guy's job was just 
okay mm-hmm. this is an audio podcast but i did the face <laughs> if, yeah. i hope if you've made it this far you've also seen seven seven samurai and you know the face or just google the face yeah google yeah. kohei seven samurai Yo-hei. i wonder Yohei. <laughs> oh so bad yeah, and so now it's a work meme. So now whenever I have anything that will apply to it, I always send a picture of Yohei along with the tagline. And only we'll get it. I tried it out on a, a few other people, and they're just like, that's nice, Jordan. Yeah. Are you, are you, are you, are you racist? What's, why are you sending this picture? <laughs> what do you have against the Japanese, Jordan? Well, thanks for joining me, Chris. Sarah, I appreciated it. Thanks, uh, our inaugural episode of Popcorn Peeps. Popcorn Peeps. We'll be back in... I'm going to edit this yeah. quickly. We'll get it up probably on Monday or Sunday night, and we'll just release them as they come. Yeah. So no stockpiling. We may as well get it out there and get rolling. We will be back with episode two, Bonnie and Clyde, and in not too long a time. And we hope you lo- look forward to listening to that one and you enjoyed this episode. But until next time, adios. Bye. Bye. I almost said something really dumb. <laughs> I was looking at your cheat sheet that you made, and I was going to say, I like the aesthetic to keep everything black and white, but then I forgot the whole movie was in black and white. <laughs> I thought you turned all these photos. <laughs> God.